Hey everybody, uh, we are here with the special Southpaws music edition. Uh, we've been taking some time off, I'm sure you've noticed, uh, as we prep for Means TV. Um, we had that little sidetrack with uh, Nick and Naomi. Uh, you know, uh, they, uh, if you have not heard, they there's a shooting at their house. Um, they, they don't know what it was involved, but they're taking some time off, so... We're still kind of like working on the show, so I figured I'd do this. I uh, invite some people I know from the internet, basically, to come talk about uh, high school music again. Um, I know we've done a few episodes, so they were a lot of fun, so I felt like doing them again. Uh, so yeah, so this this one, I have Eli Gilbert of Eli Gilbert Banjo. How's it going, Eli? It's going well. How are you doing, man? Uh, I can't complain. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here podcasting. What could be What could be better? That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done one in a while, so I'm like I'm trying to hit the groove again. Um, uh, yeah, you were you you, uh, you run the YouTube uh, YouTube station uh, station channel where you teach banjo, right? Yeah, yeah, I teach uh, more or less traditional bluegrass banjo. I, I a lot of different banjo stuff actually, um, but uh, all kind of in the bluegrass realm, and I try to just put out as much free banjo content as I possibly can and, and do some Patreon stuff and all that. But, uh, yeah, just trying to do the, the, uh, content creation thing with the banjo. Very cool. Very cool. I, uh, do use those videos quite a lot. Um, they're awesome. Uh, so yeah. So if you're learning, trying to check out to play the banjo, which everyone should, uh, you go to Eli's channel. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. Uh, so now that we've done the promotions out of the way. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So obviously you are a professional musician, uh, and a professional musician, teacher, professional teacher of music. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah. So like, uh, let's get a little bit of your music background. Like, uh, you know, where did you, where'd you start like picking up, uh, music is like obviously such a passion and, and 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 how did you kind of start accessing what you like yeah so uh, i mean i started the way a lot of people do which is you know in like fourth or fifth grade they they give you an instrument you get to pick an instrument and you join like the school band or something and i started playing trombone and then i think i played percussion for a little bit and that was like definitely before caring about music um as a mm -hmm. as something i wanted to do i think i always listen to music um and had like a connection with with listening to music, but I just didn't really think about playing it. Um, and it was again uh, kind of similar to an experience that a lot of people have. Is I had some friends who had instruments, and they said, "Hey, we should start a band." <laughs> this was before any of us had ever played any of these instruments. Uh, always, we, we, always. We, the band exactly the band formed, and then we decided to learn how to play guitar. What was um, the band's name? Uh, there was no name for the band because okay. we all then decided to learn how to play these instruments uh, and never actually started a band. We never actually did the <laughs> band part because we all just went off and just tried to learn how to play stuff. Um, we got together and jammed a couple times, but we realized that we were all too afraid to sing. So mm. we pretty quickly realized that, you know, someone even wrote a song and then it was like, great, let's do it. Let's come up with some chords. We did that. And I was like, okay, now how are you going <laughs> to sing the words to the these chords that we came up with? And he was like, oh, I'm not... I'm not going to sing. No, I, I'm not. <laughs> and the rest of us, you know, we're, we're, well, I'm not going to sing either. There's like no way. So we kind of just, that was the one rehearsal that, that 
definitely okay. didn't go anywhere. And yeah. Um, and who from that list, point on, who would you list as influences on that project? Uh, that was mostly, um, there was a lot of classic rock. That was kind of okay. how we got into the guitar. I think we, we heard some like ACDC and, um, Aerosmith and just a lot of the stuff that was on the kind of like oldies radio thing at the time. Mm-hmm. Funny to call it oldies now, but it, but it, that's, that's what it was. And, um, uh, yeah, so a lot of that stuff, and it was just kind of this vague, like, rock guitar thing. But right. but by the time I heard, um, I very distinctly remember hearing Eddie Van Halen playing that Eruption solo mm-hmm. um, on my friend's iPod, and, and I very distinctly remember that being the moment where I was like, okay, I got to take this shit seriously. Like, <laughs> I could I could shred. So now I've got some something with somewhere to go with this. And, and that from then on, it was, that's when the kind of shred guitar thing started for sure. Okay, so so you were, so that that sounds pretty pretty similar. You were, I was also enraptured by all the kinds of bands that young men, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like feel like are uh, canonical. I guess that's and that's such a good way of putting it. The young men thing, especially given the age I was, and and just feeling like that music really spoke to me. Uh-huh. Uh, in spite of the fact that there was no way I could actually relate to any of the content of the music <laughs> in any meaningful way, it still was like, yeah, this is music for me. You know, <laughs> as like a little like nerdy kid in Maine, yeah. not a particularly, you know, just like going to soccer practice and then hearing Motley Crue, you know, <laughs> girls, 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 and was like, yeah, this is this speaks to me for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was definitely very big into the ACDC thing. I think I did multiple Battle of the Bands where we played some form of ACDC songs. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was probably better in in my head uh, as (laughs) it was happening. But I still, I will say my one real connection to ACDC is I still very much love the Gibson SG. It is. uh, Oh, yeah. that's, That's the... Part, that part of my life is almost completely eradicated except for the SG. I definitely, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can, I can dig that. I think I feel the same way about those kind of like uh, Stratocaster copy. Not an actual mm. Stratocaster, but the like Charvel, Eddie Van Halen right, Strat like copies. Type exactly. Thing. I yeah. see one of those and I'm just like, I bet you could play real fast on that. That looks <laughs> like you could really, I bet the whammy bar on that, you could do all, yeah, I mean, it's amazing, and, and I felt that way at the time, too, where I was, like, just looking at some of those instruments, being mm-hmm. like, that's what you would have to get if you wanted to to play that way. And I felt the same way about all these instruments, like the SG. I was like, you get one of those, you're just going to sound like Angus Young for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very strange that you bring that up, too, because um, that's what's been very difficult about the banjo is, like, I don't have that reference for, like, mm. what's the badass banjo? Like, <laughs> yeah. What's the one that will, like, give me the air of, of like, a certain weight or whatever, you know? It's, like, because like, I don't have any background on it. It's funny that those kind of things, like, so subliminally affect, like, the kind of instrument that you're just drawn to. Uh Definitely. Which is like a, such a funny way to go about deciding which instrument to oh, play. Oh, <laughs> totally. Because by the time I ever played any of those instruments that I fantasized about, and it's the same with banjos, I say, oh, man, if I could just just play one of those. And then I play it, and it's like, nope, still sounds like me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> huh, it's weird. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay, so you were, yeah, so I, I I know you've kind of mentioned this on your channel before, but like, so, so you kind of the big 
the big like that wasn't i don't know how like I don't know how you put it. The the scene that you kind of like started to insert, like once you started like taking part in music, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like as it's being created and like uh, enjoying it as it comes out with like other people and, and, and kind of like plugging yourself more into like what's going on as opposed to just like, Oh, like I'm supposed to like this music. Like this is yeah. cool. Like, like, so I, you, you were like kind of a shreddy metal guy. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that is the first time that I was definitely, you know, had a group of friends and even some friends like online that I would meet, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd meet people at like a guitar camp and then keep in touch where we were, we were definitely tuned in to when like, you know, Joe Satriani was putting out a new record. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, Which, which pretty quickly did ended up just turning into like, it just, it just ended up being more metal, just heavier and heavier until it was Mm -hmm. just like, you know, you hear what like cannibal corpse did at this you know show mm-hmm. you know you that that was the the thing but that was really the community you know i never had that with any of the other music that i listened to before and and so um you know i had a, yeah i just that that was like the first band i actually ended up starting that was like a you know played a couple shows with was was people who we ended up finding common interest in the same kind of metal or at least mm-hmm. the same area you know cool cool um yeah, well, why don't we just like kind of start popping into the song sense since we're like we're kind of at one. We're mm. so like is this so so the first song um, that Eli picked is uh, Mashuga's Bleed. <laughs> which is a very fucking heavy song. (laughs) (laughs) Sugar in general is just very heavy. Uh, So like, was that, was that one of the bands that you were kind of getting into, like in that era? Um, I know that they're kind of, I I don't want to call them accessible because they're very good. And I, my mom wouldn't listen to it. So so it's kind of weird to call, but like, they're definitely like big. They, they're, you know, they're a big band that I feel like people could get into. Totally. Um, and it's age. not, it's not so, I mean, I, th- I think in the spectrum of metal, especially it's like, you know, you put stuff like, I, you know, Cannibal Corpse is always my like first thing to mention, which is like kind of some of the least accessible metal. Like you mm-hmm. really have to understand the context of the whole lineage of metal, even to maybe have an interest. I didn't even care that much about that, <laughs> that music. It's just like, you know, but, but yeah, Meshuggah, I would say is definitely um, more on that side. And that was that ended up being more what I was interested in. I, I did go into a direction where I was just like lower tuned, faster, heavier, less intelligible vocals, like just max out every stat that you can in terms uh-huh. of, in terms, and that's how you get into Cannibal Corpse, in my opinion, is, is by Matt, <laughs> which I think is totally valid and cool. Um, yeah. But at a certain point, I did, I paired it back and I was like, okay, I have to, uh, I have to turn down some of these dials a little bit, um, you know. <laughs> just on your line six, like, 
automatically <laughs> smacking the fucking extreme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just saw that. It's like, fuck, that has extreme as a setting. Like, That's I need my that. only option, yeah. Oh, man, also, just as a side note, just the jealousy I felt uh, about people who had a Line 6 amp back in the day. <laughs> man. That was. I'm glad I never got one, but I man, I wish. <laughs> that is like that is like I feel like the like so kind of like how I would say like where cause I grew up kind of rural as well and in metal and hard rock in general is very was pretty popular honestly uh, mm-hmm. with like a lot of people and so the um, and I I mean I'm sure it was also just because it's it was the 2000s like it was big then um, mm-hmm. and I feel like you just go to a pawn shop just be walls of line sixes yeah totally <laughs> like, totally people, and like BC rich guitars that oh. are just like obscene shapes <laughs> um, so I never had the line six amp but my first gu- electric guitar was one of the BC rich uh, warlocks oh no yeah which is yeah. which is amazing and terrible it was it's one of the like the bc rich bronze series which is their kind of like budget version it's like the Mm -hmm. squire of you know Mm -hmm. um but it had the right shape which is obviously all that mattered uh yes and went home and just yeah the fantasies i had of being in a real metal band (laughs) really something Uh, if if you're not familiar the bc rich warlock is shaped kind of like uh a skull made out of lightning <laughs> that's a really good way yeah that's a good way to put it yeah uh, describe it it's very sharp and, and jagged and uh i don't know how you'd play it sitting down i've seen i've i mean i know because i've seen a million kids playing it sitting in a chair <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but yeah. it is definitely a very goofy guitar that was loved by 14 year old boys everywhere Yep, pretty much, uh. and, and and the uh, and Carrie King from Slayer, who oh yeah, who indoctrinated all of us into that. <laughs> so yeah. so, what brought you to this song then? Uh, to bleed. Um, th- this song kind of represents some of the things that I like so much about this band, which is you know, if you listen to metal, so much of it is it's incredibly like dramatic and theatrical music, obviously. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to earlier forms of metal, that's also the case. Um, and one of the challenges with that is that you can get into these like tropes of what songs are about and like what the music sounds like. So you end up with these kind of like, even though it's supposed to be really intense and angry and like badass or whatever the thing it's supposed to be is, after you've heard enough songs that have like a bunch of diminished licks and uh, that are about like spooky, scary subjects, <laughs> it's like it doesn't, it ends up being kind of corny at a certain point. Um, and not that the songs that they wrote, not that the lyrics are particularly profound. I mean, they're, they're interesting, but they're not, um, it's not, I'm glad it's not Shakespeare, but it's not Shakespeare. (laughs) Um, but the way that they, they structure their music, um, is really heavy and it is metal and it's part of this language, but they don't use these cliches, um, that so many bands use. And so like when you hear the beginning of this song, they're playing this really low-tuned stuff, lower-tuned than most bands were playing at the time, but cleaner sound, so you could hear more mm-hmm. of what they were doing. And then it's this uh, kind of galloping, polyrhythmic thing that takes a long time to start, start the pattern over again. And as they're doing it, they're just bending the note that they're playing so the pitch gradually increases and then decreases. They don't actually ever play in that opening riff. It's not like a chord. It's not in a key. It's not even a note. It's just this like spectrum of pitch going up and down, which to me actually ends up then being like that much more jarring.
because, you know, I'll listen to some other band. I'm like, okay, yeah, they're using the Locrian scale there. That's why it sounds that kind of spooky. And they're mm-hmm. using the harmonic scale, harmonic minor scale here. And that's why it sounds kind of, uh, you know, Arabic and spooky. And like, there's all these things that you start to recognize. And then when Mushuga came around, everything they were doing, people were like, you know, what is, what is that that they're doing? What is the actual, you know, how are they achieving that sound? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and they're just, they weren't, they weren't regurgitating this stuff that people had done before them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but unlike most people who try to do that, they did it in a way that actually ends up being as satisfying as hearing, you know, like early Metallica for the first time blows your mind. Mm-hmm. I go back and listen to Metallica now and it's like, it just feels like this kind of soft, weak thing that doesn't, you know, <laughs> after I've heard yeah. enough other stuff. But when I heard Meshuggah for the first time, it was one of those experiences where I was like, this is, you know. Yeah. 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 It, it, I I honestly didn't get into them. I, to be, to be fr- like, okay, so one of the things from here, from this podcast, when I do it, is I actually watch the music videos. And oh, a lot interesting. Of times yeah. I, have, I haven't ever seen them. Mm-hmm. Um. And this kind of like vibe yeah. would have just like absolutely terrified me. Even though like <laughs> I listened to like metal and stuff, it still always made me uncomfortable until I was like a lot older. Because I, I I don't know, it's it's scary. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's very creepy. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I, yeah, so uh, I, I didn't get into them until um, much much later, um, like in my mid twenties, but. Um, one thing that, yeah, really strikes out about, about them to me compared to like their peers of the age is how clean, like the rec, like the records, like you said, they sound very clean and they're well mixed and they have like air to them yeah. in a way that a lot of metal at that time just sounded like it was being cranked out on a pro tunes, like full compression, like yeah, as much yeah, as you yeah, could yeah. possibly put in there. And it, it sounds so sterile that way, you know? I mean, there's no dynamicness to it. It doesn't feel like you're listening to people play music. And, totally. and I mean, there are ways to, to, to use that sound in mm-hmm. ways that are interesting. I just don't really much care for it when it comes to metal. And that's what I, I really like Meshuggah because they have like this really technical quality to it, but it still sounds like humans playing music. I like... I don't know if that, you know, totally like they, they have, they have a, like their records just sound fucking not very nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the reasons that happens, I think is, you know, they're, they're kind of a, there's a lot of really good bands out there in any style of music. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that do whatever they do. Well, it's a rare instance when, you know, like I think the case is with Meshuggah that they're actually, um, as players and as producers, I don't know, to what extent they had producers that, mm-hmm. that got into this stuff. That may have been a big thing, but it seems like they actually have their own vision for how this stuff should sound. I think there are a ton of people who play really well and maybe write good music, but don't really have uh, the the sense or the mind for like creating the sound, right? Yes. So like I've seen tons of bands um, that that would be really cool if it was mixed differently or something like mm-hmm. that where it's just like I think they just they put all the work into the playing and the writing and the mm-hmm. the stage show and all this stuff and then by the time they got to the studio it was like well let's just we let's just play our stuff we'll just play our stuff and it'll be cool and mm-hmm. I th- I think it I think it was just a case where Meshuggah is like one of those rare bands that's kind of on another level in terms of artistry in a lot of areas mm-hmm. not just playing not just solos or just you know 
yeah, um, something yeah, like that. I think so. I think that that can help a lot, and I, that's a hard thing to achieve. There's that's why very few bands end up mm-hmm. having that kind of impact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's an awesome song. I I I'm gonna listen to that for that uh that pitch bend that you're talking about next time. I yeah, and it's I it's really just that. like the beginning of it, and and it's it's a it's a lot what they do in that in that song in general, and it's kind of how their whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's between between. The fact that their music rarely ever—it's always—it it will often, you know, each section will kind of base around a certain note, but it's not really in a certain key. Hmm. Um, and the rhythm is so much is so important, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where um, uh, one of the things that I noticed about other metal bands, which I liked but then found kind of boring, was um, it's it's a lot of. A lot of people who play metal get really into certain things like music theory, classical music, <laughs> technique, time signatures, yeah. all this nerdy stuff that like nerdy, like fourteen-year-old boy guitar players want to get into, which is cool. <laughs> which is, it's really cool. But then ninety-nine percent of the music that comes out of that sounds really organized. It sounds like somebody mm-hmm. did all of this stuff really intentionally, and it sounds like yeah, they wanted it to be seven-eight in six-eight. Back to seventy eight, mm-hmm. and you know that sound. It, you can kind of tell when you listen to it. It's like, yeah, they're they're just trying to achieve this thing. But you listen to Meshuggah, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. <laughs> like, you know, and I think I think part of it plays into like this like exoticization of of other cultures and stuff. Where I just think uh-huh. of like, well, it's just just like there must be something going on in the culture over there in Europe somewhere where they're just like, you know, there's something, you know, whatever. What I think. I think they're Scandinavian, maybe. Where it's, I'm, and so I'll just like in my mind, I'll just be like, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, and I just leave it a mystery. <laughs> but what's cool is when I looked into it, like I, my understanding is that they're also not thinking about, um, you know, you can analyze this stuff in terms of the time signatures and and theory, and and you can mm-hmm. you can describe it in a million different ways. My understanding is that they don't think about it that way. They come up with the things that they want to play, and they all find a way to play it together. Um, mm-hmm. and then later on people, if they're lucky enough, can figure out how to do it themselves. But, <laughs> but I don't think it's coming from that nerdy perspective of huh. most metal. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, no more, no more, uh, no more metal. Uh, I was very surprised. This is a, I, when I looked at this list, I told you that I was like, I, I know where you're coming from with this list, but it still is very eclectic. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And uh, so, yeah, so do you want have a specific one you want to move on to? Um, I think the order that I sent them in to you is more or less the order okay. that they that kind way. of were like, yeah. uh, throughout high school, I was kind of listening to all this stuff, but it was mm-hmm. the main focus definitely changed to each thing, you know, as, as they went on. I don't remember what the next one I sent you was, but... Um, I kind of sent them in that order, I think. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, if we'll just go in order, uh, we will go to Sam Cooke uh, off the live at the Harlem Square album or Harlem Square Club. Uh, bring it on home to me. to me right now, you know that I tried to see you right, what did you do, oh you stayed out, 
Like a very live performancing sounding song. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. So what? What? I mean, you're listening to all this technical metal, all this different kinds of metal, and then you uh, are into like essentially a club singer. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> brought you to this. I know, right? So, I mean, uh, one thing that I can kind of say that that will put a little bit into context everything that I've that I've kind of showed you, and and just ends up being everything I listen to is like. Even though, yeah, because it, it obviously seems weird that you'd go from one to another, but um, I kind of perceive like there's kind of a heaviness, not heavy like metal, but there's kind of like a weight to a lot of the music that I end up liking um, in that it's like mm-hmm. it's either loud or really intense or maybe not dramatic, but just like um, emotional in some way, you know, not always mm-hmm. like sentimental, but it's like it's. I, I tend to like music that's kind of designed to fuck you up in a way. You know what I mean? Like, like you ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I totally, you know, agree. like if you ever watch a movie where it's like, it really, you know, like Requiem for a dream, it's like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not everything that I listen to. I want, you know, I don't want it to mess me up in that way, but I kind of want it to, to make me feel something. And so when I heard this, I can't remember what got me into this. I think I had a music teacher in high school, um, who actually I work with now, um, where I teach mm-hmm. at, at that same high school now, um, who, is kind of responsible for getting me into a lot of different type of styles of music. He basically just said, you know, there's more things out there than metal. Um, <laughs> but he was also one of the rare people, adults in my life, to say like, hey, you're into my sugar. That's really cool. Right. But there's also this other stuff you might want to check out, you know, so like, <laughs> which is a good way to open a door um, for somebody instead of, you know, the alternative. Mm-hmm. But so I think that anyway, that's how I got into a lot of jazz and other music. But um, at some point I got really into... Um, uh, gospel music, um, specifically like field recordings of gospel music, um, okay. which not a religious person ever in my life, um, but mm-hmm. I just found this website where they were, um, you could get bootlegs of like recordings from the 50s, 40s and 50s and mm-hmm. 60s from like gospel churches and uh, demonstrations and like church revivals and all this stuff. And it was like the most intense stuff you know it's like a hundred people clapping along with somebody just like singing uh-huh. their heart about heart out about something you know and just like not having had that experience in my life of having anything really be so important in my life that i would like be stomping and shouting and clapping and all that stuff it had no effect on me and religiously you know like i i listened to that stuff i was like <laughs> yeah that sounds nice but not gonna happen but um 
that got me into um, like kind of this movement that happened where a lot of uh, gospel singers became pop singers. Um, and Sam Cooke is kind of like one of the most famous versions of that. And so a okay. lot of pop music from that era was really, uh, especially like soul music and mm-hmm. R&B was so incredibly influenced by this kind of like rural Southern gospel culture that then became like mainstream pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what got me into Sam Cooke. And then I heard this recording and I was like, this is what that music was. This is exactly that. And that's yeah. what he did. He he started as a as a gospel singer and um, and and recorded pop songs under a fake name before he you know went to actually call himself Sam Cooke. And he he was boycotted by uh, churches that he used to sing at and all kinds of. It, it's oh, kind wow. of a, it's a crazy story. You should you should check out the this life of Sam Cooke. Um, uh-huh. But but he brought that energy into this pop world and basically shaped what like you know n- not just him Smokey robinson a lot of people did this but but was he was kind of one of the best proponents of this thing so anyway when i he- when i hear this recording the way he's talking at the beginning he's it's like he's setting up he's it's like he's preaching or something he's kind of setting up this this religious experience but he's talking about like a love story basically he's talking about like trying to get your your <laughs> woman to come back to you when it's like it's not it's not church but it is you know um and it does have that like hypnotic kind of like repetitiveness to it that like they they that those that revival era kind of yeah exactly and um and beyond the fact that the performance is great like he sings so well so much Mm -hmm. energy and the band is great and it's just so loud the band is incredible yeah Yeah. and it's just like I, i want so badly to have experienced like that show but but then you hear the audience and like you'll hear him sing certain notes and somebody will just like let out this unbelievable scream just this uncontrolled like like they're just purely reacting to his performance in a way that by, by the end they're like singing their own backup I like know, it's crazy and it's so <laughs> loud and it's like I, yeah it's, it's the loudest i've ever heard like a crowd on a live recording. yeah exactly and, and and that's like my favorite part is like when he gets everybody singing and everything it's like you know that that shared collective experience um mm-hmm. is so powerful and uh and and so that that felt to me honestly as powerful as like listening to Meshuggah and like kind of having like my my skull shaken by that was like <laughs> it was kind of the same thing um and uh and so i you know that whole album is is a lot like that so it's worth checking that out but um yeah that was that was a definitely a eye opening thing to get uh-huh. into yeah i have never listened to sam cook honestly the only kind of stuff from that kind of scene, I guess that that soul live performance scene that I really listened to was um, uh, what's his face, um, James Brown. Oh, James Brown. Oh, yeah, 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 right. yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so, yeah. So, like, I kind of like was introduced to this kind of at the same time as you're you're saying. Like, I was listening to this like really, like I guess not entirely just heavy stuff because I like I said off the off the recording uh like i was very big into like the third emo revival Mm, stuff um and like yeah that was like really cool and then i don't remember how i got into it but yeah i found some james brown stuff and yeah i just remember being like really stricken by 
the aud- like yeah like how the audience was in and like this was like that times a like <laughs> yeah. i said like this was like i have never heard like a crowd like, like going like that like with the guy yeah. uh singing or performing and um I, yeah really i do remember like then and i'm and now when i listen to it it is very strange how so much of the music that i enjoyed especially in that time period um well not entirely but it did not involve that kind of particip- participation like mm, yeah like the 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 music was like almost designed to be listened to like in your headphones sitting somewhere or like zoning away from everyone else around you or whatever yeah, yeah. and yeah that's just like what really struck me uh, about this recording was just like how how that 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 feeling like it has never really been a part of like a lot of the music i enjoyed like obviously i was into punk and hard hardcore kind of has mm-hmm. it um but yeah like this kind of like expectation that the audience participate in it like it's a wrestling show or yeah, something yeah like you know like, totally oh yeah and, yeah yeah yeah, and that that's, that's very cool. Um, I think I think I, I had a similar experience with with not, you know, I because I remember, you know, this whatever was popular at the time, people would kind of go crazy for, you know, whatever. That's kind of always the case. Whatever the most popular music is, is the music that people are going mm-hmm. to react that way at a live show for, and that ends up being mm-hmm. whatever is is just what is whatever we're calling pop music, which. I've never like hated, but it just like didn't do anything for me. It, it generally doesn't mm-hmm. do much for me. So I always felt a little bit on the outside of that experience. And I, 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 not to the point where I found it obnoxious, but it was like, you know, what's that about to be like kind of, you know, <laughs> but then I think it was, yeah, I think it was kind of eye opening to then hear music that I wasn't ever going to hear that. I was never going to see that band, but, mm-hmm. but hear people freaking out that way to that music and being like, yeah, I get it. I, I, I would be one of those. I would want to be one of those people. Oh, I would have been way too self-conscious. Oh yeah, I would believe in my exactly. Head that yeah, I would yeah. Be. <laughs> well, which, which really gets into another side of it, which is that like that is that's the music with the people going crazy. That's the music I had my headphones off in the corner when I wasn't talking to people <laughs> because I was you know there's there's a whole yeah you could you could yeah, pull that thread yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely is definitely something. Yeah, that's definitely definitely probably why i am so successful at putting content out on the internet <laughs> well, yeah, yeah or as successful i don't want to say i'm successful but i, I have had some success yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah yeah it, yeah, that, yeah that's very weird yeah i i can't think of anything that yeah that i that i've gone to i i will tell you i have gone i would go to rap shows mm. when i was like because i had some friends who were rappers and it was something that was very very like striking to me that i found like unbelievable or you know just like i couldn't i didn't understand how this was happening was dudes were like legitimately like ciphering on their own while someone was performing like over wow and it was just like totally acceptable that's so interesting it was like yeah it was like i don't know how common that is but i've seen it a few times and yeah it's just like yeah that's something that i wish was a little like i know we've talked about it before like in other not on this but like just how people should feel like there is not a barrier between them and like the recorded yeah, music right? or music in general, just be, how they appreciate it, how they in, engage with mm-hmm. it. You know, it's just like very cool to see like a pop singer. <laughs> people are like 
St- uh, like they are contributing like that would not that record would not sound the same without the crowd no exactly you know? and you can you can go listen to his version of it the studio version of that song and it's good i mean every i like everything he did it's just uh yeah it's it has yeah. that and i also really like you know yeah in in terms of not putting up a barrier between you and this record your music or any traditions it's like you know on on the one hand i currently like participating in like the bluegrass community and the banjo community just because I like to talk to people at the banjo or help people how to learn it, all this stuff. And that kind of requires like being a part of the thing that's happening and talking Mm -hmm. to the people that are doing it. But I also appreciate, and and I think that's one of the reasons I appreciate a bunch of different styles of music is, is this kind of like almost like postmodern thing where it's like, I don't understand the culture where this music came from. I can learn about it. I can like try to connect with it in some way. But at the end of the day, like I'm putting on my headphones and I'm just kind of like spectating at this thing, you know, and it doesn't it yeah. doesn't then mean that I'm like, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, in my mind, keep keep at least some distance from the fact that it's like I'm basically watching a movie right now. Like it's it's that kind of thing where it's like this is just a story that's being told through this medium and I'm paying attention. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to it and whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that, I think there's, that's cool is that there's two different ways to, or not just two, but there's a bunch of different ways to do that where you can, you can really become a part of, of that culture and that music and whatever it is, pretty much anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly possible, but also that I think it's also cool to kind of sit back and just say like, that's really fascinating that this thing exists. And I, and it makes mm-hmm. me feel a certain way, even though I don't know any of these people, I don't know what these songs are really about i've you know same same thing i was in high school well i guess that was the age of the the audience in uh the sam cook thing they were probably all in high school but um you know just just Hmm. fascinating to listen to a story about somebody else's experience and and kind of not speculate but just kind of appreciate like wow i don't know a damn thing about what they're talking about that's interesting (laughs) yeah 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 that yeah very cool um yeah, so speaking of sentimental and heavy <laughs> kinds of stuff, this was the one that like I would have maybe thrown on my own personal five. Um, I feel like ev- everybody loved the f- the John Wayne Gacy Jr. song uh, by Sufjan. Yeah. yeah. Seven people, even more. 
they were boys with their cars, summer jobs. Oh my God. I didn't know how to say Sufjan in high school. I don't think I learned how to actually say his name until I was like 25. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this song, uh, I listened to it again uh, when you sent it to me, and it still it still slaps. It hits, it hits, man. <laughs> it's, uh, it is, yeah. How did you come to this? Because, like, obviously, I feel like for people our age and, our certain disposition and like, like the fact that like music was a hobby for us at this time. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like everybody kind of came to this song somehow and, and it definitely has a very distinct story about how they got into the Sufjan album. Uh, yeah. The Illinois one, obviously it was bigger where, cause I'm from Illinois, but right. it was huge there. Oh God, I uh, bet. Yeah. 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 They loved it. We loved it. It was, <laughs> it was totally random how I got into it. So I, um, I was at a, a jazz camp in Michigan uh, okay. interlocking um and i ended up going oh, to actually have friends who went to that oh cool yeah i mean i was, so I was <laughs> there uh, i was there when i was a between sophomore and junior year of high school there was the summer camp it was like a six-week intense jazz mm-hmm. camp thing which was great and then i ended up going back for my senior year of high school which was cool but mm-hmm. um so that was like i showed up there not having a ton of experience with jazz just kind of being like okay i want to learn how to play jazz let's go to the place where they just show you how to do that for six weeks all day long great um, and my guitar teacher had once had told me at some point, he was like, Hey, what are you listening to? Like, do you have any music? Like, I was yeah. like, yeah, I have, I've got a jazz album on my, it was some random guitarist <laughs> that looking back, like it was kind of a shitty album, just like not that great, but that was all the jazz that I had. So it was like really uh-huh. evident that I needed some jazz. So it was back yeah. in the day when you could take an iPod and hook it up to any computer and just put anything mm-hmm. on it. It was, there was no, uh, protection whatsoever. Right. And he took my iPod, which I was lucky enough to have a, a 64 gig iPod or whatever. And yeah. he put 60, he packed it to the gills with like 10,000 <laughs> jazz songs, like just album upon album of like all the stuff you would want to know about. Uh-huh. I was really concerned at the time um, because he deleted my Beastie Boys that was on there. I had Beastie <laughs> which that maybe was the, we were talking about embarrassing stuff. That yeah, yeah, yeah. that I don't any longer feel that that passionate about. But um, <laughs> so I lost my Beastie Boys, but I gained all this stuff. It just happened to be all the music that he had, and those two albums, Michigan and Field of mm-hmm. Illinois, were on there. Didn't listen to him for weeks while I was at this camp, and then I had a friend who was telling me about this person. She's like, "Oh, he went to the Interlock. He went to school here, and he's really cool, and he's done. He did not love Michigan, all this stuff." Mm-hmm. And I was just scrolling through this iPod and noticed that it was there and put it on. And um, it was, yeah, obviously nothing like anything I had listened to before. I wasn't into any other acoustic music, really. Um, yeah. And, but it was, it was similarly like listening to Meshuggah, where um, I was kind of aware of the tropes of certain genres of music. Mm-hmm. And like one of the tropes of this kind of like soft acoustic gentle music is mm-hmm. like not explicitly but kind of implicitly like don't sing a song that is like specifically about one of the most horrifying serial killers of all time in a right. weirdly um compassionate and kind of humanizing way like that does not fit with pretty much all the music that sounds kind of like Sufjan Stevens that I've ever heard so I heard that song yeah. and songs like that I was like 
this is kind of fucked up music in a weird way. <laughs> and therefore it is fucking me up. Therefore, yeah. this is fantastic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, between the content and just the, like, that, like, I, I don't know the picking style because I don't play guitar well mm-hmm. enough to know. But <laughs> yeah, that kind of, like, thumbing thing that he does, like, how it just, like, builds and it's just, like, it's kind of like what we were talking about, the um, the folk banjo stuff, like, where it, like, hits this, like, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Um where it just keeps going back and forth and then it just gets like louder and louder <laughs> and faster and like more horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it just like hits that falsetto and then like hangs there. Oh and it's man. Like, I, yeah. I remember just being like, I mean, this is like the most adult music <laughs> ever. Like I remember very distinctly thinking like Sufjan, like meant like it was, I, it was like my bar mitzvah of music. Like, yeah. Was, like I became a man after Sufjan. Totally. <laughs> yeah and i feel like i feel like his music is a little bit like um like if you've ever seen any like charlie kaufman movies um mm-hmm. uh like there there's some absurd stuff happening there and some kind of surreal stuff happening but it's just connected enough to reality that when you listen to it you i at least when i listen to it i a little bit feel like i have this little moment where i'm just like am i dreaming while i'm like Yes. I can. I know what all the things that are happening are. Like I know that I can recognize the instruments. It's not like really weird chords that he's using or really weird melodies. Mm-hmm. It's just this like tenuous connection with this like kind of avant-garde sound stuff, also, mm-hmm. um, which then ends up, yeah, I don't know, making it really making it subversive when you compare it to like I don't know. Some people I've definitely heard like they like Sufjan and they also like. Death Cab for Cutie, which are not the same thing and not whatever, but it's like no. kind of soft male vocals, acoustic mm-hmm. guitars, whatever. Things mm-hmm. I, I, both of which I like, it's just when I listen to Sufjan, it's like there's a huge like story going on with, with yes. everything that he writes. And it's it's so deep and, and so personal, <laughs> yeah. His arrangements are just much more interesting to me as well. Yeah. Compared to like other, because yeah, like like Death Cab is a great band to bring up because I would like you said I would just say that they them and like even like Arcade Fire were like the big peer, Interpol. Yep. Like the big peers, and they just weren't even close. Totally. To like what was going on there? Like I was like so bored. I I would listen to some of that stuff just because, like I said, like. I was probably 17 or 18, and I was like, well, this makes me complex. Like, yeah. I read Hemingway, and I listened to Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah. Um, Man, and, we, we would have been friends back in the day. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but, yeah, like, I never really – yeah, like, like even, like, the other songs in this album with the horns, because that's what's – this song doesn't have the horns, which are in most of the other mm-hmm. songs. Yeah. But, like, Chicago yep. and even um, the song about Decatur, which is really weird because I, I grew up next to Decatur, and there's no alligators in Decatur. Oh, funny. <laughs> just rhymes. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, – yeah. Yeah, they just kind of had, like, a very cool – like, they have a tweeness to them, I guess, mm-hmm. which was very popular yep. at the time. But – like you said, they kind of have they they have a lot of meat to like what he's doing with the arrangements and like the the the, the instrumentation that he picks to play with him. Yep. That it it doesn't sound as dated as something like the Arcade Fire, which was just kind of like a pop song with totally stuff that felt like real, like it had the hipster vibe to it. Yeah. It's not to dis arcade fire that much like i don't really really hate them right. as much as some people but <laughs> they they definitely 
I don't think Sufjan is as tied, and I think that's why later he went on to just do other stuff um, that's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, one one thing I think about Sufjan and um, and any of the bands that like like we were saying like Death Cab or, or Arcade, Arcade Fire or whatever is like, you know, Death Cab for Cutie and Arcade Fire and bands like that are kind of participating in a genre, even though they're not saying like, okay, we got to do it just like this band or something. It's right. like they're kind of existing within pretty narrow constraints of of like a pop form even though it's not like you know mass mm-hmm. pop music it's like kind of the same way that you know like basically the biggest influences of those bands probably included like the beatles and you know pavement yeah exactly like shit like that yeah whereas like sufjan is really playing with the genre and playing with that form and using it but he's not really participating in it per se he's kind of using it but not painting inside the lines i mean this is a weird this is a really strange um uh analogy analogy or or comparison to make but like you know there's certain things about um you know when you watch like an indie movie uh Mm -hmm. like i'm trying to think of a an example just think of your the most cliche indie movie vibe that you've ever thought of where we have garden state yeah garden state (laughs) something like that where it's like (laughs) As great as that is, it eventually kind of starts to feel like that's a format, like that's a form, right. is that thing. Yeah. Now, th- you may disagree, and people may not like this movie, and that's fine. I don't really care that much about it. But like, then you look at a movie like Napoleon Dynamite, which is not really an indie movie in nearly the same way, mm-hmm. uh, but it's playing with a form in a in a weird way to kind of subvert your the way that you feel about what that story is. Like there's some, there's things about that movie that had no reason to happen. There was no reason why the movie looked like it was shot on film in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no reason why the colors were in the whole movie were kind of faded. Like, Mm -hmm. like all those things didn't have to happen. That could have been like this kind of more poppy, cheesy, um, brightly colored. um, The jokes could have been more accessible to people it could have, mm-hmm. you know, there it easily could have been more of that, but whoever made that movie ended up deciding, like, I'm really not going to paint within the lines of what this movie probably mm-hmm. could best be and be best accepted by. Whatever. And then it ended up obviously becoming this, like, kind of not even cult classic, this, like, obviously it was, like, one of the most popular things of all time <laughs> ever. So that's kind of a yeah. weird example. But for a minute there, it was this weird thing where it was, like, there was a, a a group of people who watched that movie and they're like, yeah, this weirdly kind of speaks to me. Like these jokes are, these <laughs> yeah. are not funny. These are not that funny jokes. Like these people are just being kind of weird. Yeah. I have a weird uncle like that. And I live in a weird small town where that's kind of about as interesting yes. as it is. And, and the other people that were listening to it were like, I kind of don't, why is it? I don't really get it. Why is it? That's kind of weird. Like that, there's not really a punchline there. Or like, why is he? talk like that whatever it is i feel like i had the same feeling with sufyan for a while there where Mm -hmm. people listen to it and they're like i kind of feel like this a lot of the time and other people listen to it they're (laughs) like yeah this is kind of a mess this music is kind of goes all over the place and like sometimes the trumpet's out of tune and like there was a lot you could say about it if you really were like insistent on this being this like overproduced mass-produced thing you know and Uh and anyway weird tangent to go on but i feel like uh, that's what kind of what that achieved is that it, that music, Sufjan's music, like while using the same tools as all acoustic pop 
bands can use um mm-hmm. uh kind of like uh uh made you feel something different feel like mm-hmm. something that i would never feel listening to any other acoustic pop type thing you know yeah 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 it was uh yeah it was it, it, it's just like it was like it, it was such a perfect like sound for that time and like mm-hmm. especially like for young people i mean it was it was obviously very popular with people from like our age to you know their 40s or whatever mm-hmm. like uh but yeah i mean that acoustic thing was always going to happen for sure cuz i mean like all the music that was like popular when i was in high school was like extremely overproduced mm-hmm. extremely like like dig- digital instruments like the drums were always like heavily gated and like yeah it just no matter what music you listen to it sounded like that and and yeah so i mean it was but like the thing yeah that like, you're bringing up with sufjan and it's like really funny to say it that way like to be like Suf- like i feel like this like, <laughs> right because like, the songs are like historical like like historical dramas about the state of Illinois and Michigan. And it was like part of this like whole form that he was like allegedly going to do all 50 States. And like, then he did a Christmas album after this. Yeah. It's like five <laughs> albums long. Yeah. Like, like he is like when you, I feel like it's so weird to talk about him because he does sound so incredibly pretentious, <laughs> yeah. but like, He's like the music is very much not like right. I mean I don't I haven't really listened to much after the Christmas album so I don't know what happens after that I know a lot of people are very fond of it um but yeah I mean it does sound like incredibly pretentious but it's like Michel Gondry or something where it's like okay yeah he's like really really trying to tell you how weird he is but he is weird he's so, really <laughs> my yeah. understanding is yeah like he's that's an honest representation of his weirdness yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah it was um yeah it was great yeah that was that john wayne gacy song though like some of the other stuff took me some time to kind of appreciate and really get into that feeling that you keep talking about like this is heavy or this is like impacting me or like there's something in here that just like hits real hard mm-hmm. um but the, obviously the john wayne gacy song was like the first time i heard it I was like, this, is, <laughs> this is fucking unreal yeah oh yeah <laughs> totally this, this is like the most unreal thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay so we've kind of this is a great order you, you yeah you picked an awesome order oh, to go good. through you're giving me perfect transitions good <laughs> um so yeah so you were you know you had gotten into all this jazz you had 60 gigs uh on your i'm guessing generation four ipod uh movie yeah uh, <laughs> i think so i don't think i yeah i didn't have any um I didn't have any videos on it, but I, I was, uh, I think it had, I think I had still think- one episode of the office on my, Oh, nice. I can't even imagine how you would watch on that screen. Oh God. Like, and just the quality. And, and I think, <laughs> I think it even still had the buttons. I think it actually had the, maybe in the scroll yeah, in the scroll. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. wow. Yep. That's the one I had. Um, what a time to be alive. Man, I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do this podcast, so I can just fantasize. That's a great idea, yeah. That uh, that I own the iPod uh, 64 gig, <laughs> and I'm making the clicking noise. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we've got some Coltrane. Yeah. I have not really listened to this Coltrane a whole lot. It's Venus from, what's the album? Uh, Interstellar Space. <laughs> Thank you. 
this before or after he like became like musically religious um after and during i mean it would like okay. you know love supreme which is uh 64 i think mm-hmm. was kind of like the the first big i think it, it was building to that but i think that was like okay. the big moment where he basically was like it's like the church of jazz yes. thing um, and everything after that basically was was mm-hmm. that that kind of thing under his na- own name anyway. Um, I mean, yeah, the music yeah. changed, but it was all very much uh, intentionally uh, spiritual. Yeah. So, how did you get to here? Because I honestly cannot say I got to this <laughs> this level uh, in high school. I mean, I very much liked Bitches Brew. Oh, but, cool. Yeah. Like in retrospect. I just found this out that Bitches Brew like is like a platinum album. Really so, like, interesting. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, like everybody likes Bitches yeah, Brew. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not as inaccessible as you think. I think it's a really you know what you know what I think about Bitches Brew is I love it, and I also feel yeah. like a lot of people love to put it on the background to look really hip because it's kind of unobtrusive in the background if it's quiet enough. So I think yes. I think you can get away with being really cool if you uh, get the volume just right. <laughs> I mean, it does make you look very cool. Yeah, it's called Bitches Brew. Like it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, obnoxious isn't the word I'm looking for. It's uh, it's difficult to listen to sometimes yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I guess totally. But yeah, I was very surprised to find out how it's like basically the best. I think it is literally the best selling jazz album of all oh, time. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. So yeah, so so yeah, I was more. I maybe got as far as Mingus, mm-hmm. like kind of that, but yeah, this kind of stuff, I did not get. Yeah, yeah. Until much later, even now, I would say it's not even really like, it's not really my thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, I mean, it's yeah. this is like among uh, among many things that I listen to. This is one of those things that I put in the category of like, there's no particularly good reason to get into this kind of. Th- I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, think it really. It's I can I can yeah. So I can kind of explain what it means to me, but I. I Mm-hmm. no one's uh yeah anyway um <laughs> so i was into coltrane for a while just because i really liked his playing on earlier stuff like kind mm-hmm. of blue and giant steps obviously but every everything he had put out i just really liked his sound and his the way that he moved through chord changes and stuff i mean that's that's what i was really into for a while with jazz was just playing through chord changes playing these standard tunes improvising um mm-hmm. just kind of exploring melody and harmony that way um and i can't remember you know i think i got exposed at some point to like you know what somebody called free jazz 
uh, at some point, mm-hmm. and it wasn't what I got into in the what I heard in the first place wasn't something I really got into, which was just kind of what you assume when somebody's free jazz, which is just kind of like this cacophonous, everyone's just playing random shit, and you know, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's it's the way it gets advertised is as inaccessible as it could possibly be. And a lot of it is like that. <laughs> um, even though I ended up really loving a lot of that stuff. I, I, there's some other stuff I could have sent that was, was a little <laughs> short lived in my actual listening, but, but really just pushes the boundaries of what is like just random sound, which is cool too. I like, I like random sounds, but um, anyway, mm-hmm. so, so Coltrane, what, what got me into it was a love Supreme, which is this four part, suite that Coltrane mm-hmm. wrote and performed that was basically um allegedly like this you know musical setting to this like 3000 word poem um and it was his like he had just gotten not just recently but he had a couple years earlier gotten clean from drinking and heroin which had almost killed him and uh basically like started his musical life over and was making like music his religion and so it was this deeply spiritual thing um, which really resonated with me just the way I've been impacted by music. I mean, all the stuff we listened mm-hmm. to fo- so far, the whole point of all the music I've listened to is kind of to hit hard, you know, to really yes. make me feel something. And so hearing that context mm-hmm. and then hearing Love Supreme, which people should check out, it, it's mm-hmm. not, not free jazz. It's pretty accessible. I mean, it's it's long, mm-hmm. um, so that may be not accessible to everyone. But but he, he gets into these moments where it's like the intensity and the emotion ends up being a little bit more important than um, whether or not he's playing notes that are in the chord that he's playing. Not that he's pl- not ignoring that, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't end up being super crucial that everything he's playing is like contained within the same key, that it all relates to the same key in the same way. And then beyond that, you know, the things that we feel when we listen to somebody improvise generally are within the constraints of the language that they're speaking. So if you hear somebody improvising uh, in, you know, jazz, they're usually playing a certain set of notes that make what they play sound like jazz. It's it's not random that that happens. There's certain licks, there's a language, there's all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that when you hear somebody like Charlie Parker play, there's kind of possibly a, maybe not just like Charlie Parker, but but these, these people, this, this language, musicians, there's kind of a limited range of things you can feel when you listen to bebop or there's a limited ranges of things that you might be able to feel when you listen to bluegrass or something like that. You know, like Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not going to listen to Bill Monroe and feel what you feel when you listen to Sufjan Stevens, probably (laughs) not all the time. It's, it's going to be rare, but so what John Coltrane, not just John Coltrane, but the, the person that affected me the most when he did it is he, you know, and didn't he didn't say this, but what I perceived was by playing things that aren't in the key, by playing things that are outside of what you're supposed to play, you're kind of extending this range of things that you can feel while you're listening to this music. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of an oversimplification of the whole thing, but you're basically just using a much wider palette, which opens you up to things that are a lot more dissonant, things that are kind of uh, harsh to listen to, things mm-hmm. that... Um, basically speak to the emotions that affect us the most which end up being really painful a lot of the time like a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that people listen to music to to help themselves with ends up being that they're sad or angry or whatever it is you know like Mm -hmm. when you think about the blues they're not singing the blues because they're like super happy people and nobody listens to the blues 
you know, well, now they do, but, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it served a purpose at one point. And so what this music ended up serving a purpose for me, you know, and, and what he ended up doing, you know, Coltrane by going further and further away from this, um, regimented set of, um, you know, appropriate scales and chords that you would play over is like the same way I felt about Sufjan where I was like this fucked up song about whatever. It's like, yeah, something about this. I, I, this feels like my emotion, you know, as a kind of intense, um, emotional, like sensitive teenager Mm -hmm. listening to Coltrane, like on this, on this song, Venus, which is, which starts what he plays in the beginning is, is, um, uh, is, is a melody, you know, he, he, he Mm -hmm. plays that specific melody for a while and it goes off into basically just free improvisation. It's just him and a drummer. Um, there's a lot of like chaos. There's a lot of emotion. There's, it's not very neat and tidy. It's hard to place where everything at. That's what people feel like sometimes. And so like at that time, I really, that really resonated with me that Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, as a kind of quiet person, that's not really going to like lash out and snap at any point. I, I never really have. I probably never really will. Like hearing that and experiencing that like internally was like a huge release to have that. Um, and then to know that the context was kind of appropriate, that for him it was this very spiritual thing where he was like, you know, for him it was literally connecting with God, but for me it was like connecting with this relationship with like the universe and like coping. Oh, yeah. You know, just yeah. like coping with your your – once you start to just think about – your existence and life and any of this stuff, it starts, you know, especially if you're not religious, that can get overwhelming because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you just, you're grappling with the concept of meaning. So you're kind of listening <laughs> to somebody, con- you know, grapple with the concept of meaning through this artistic art form. And that's, that's what that really was for me. Um, so that music stuck huh. with me for a really long time. And I don't really listen to it much anymore, but I went back and I listened to some of it again because you had brought it up. And, like, uh-huh. it definitely brought back a lot of those feelings of, like, um, yeah, just trying to, like, grapple with the chaos of the universe and and not not feeling comfortable putting it in, like, a, a neat, tidy box, with which is, like, a 16-bar verse that somebody sings about, like, how life is hard sometimes. It's, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get to a certain point, it's, like, sorry, like, Sufjan Stevens, that's not enough right now. That doesn't, you know, that's too inside yeah, for me yeah. right now, you know? Huh? Yeah, that's a. I, I'm gonna reapproach it with like that kind of context and and see what I hear. Uh, this next, yeah, no, I was always very. You bring that up, and like I was always very, very like intrigued by that same thing that you were saying about how you know like this was like I always loved the the Coltrane story about like how he was like oh like I found God in the music and I'm going to like worship the God that I yeah you know know or whatever. And, and like, yeah, cause I was religious until about high school and like, it, it was a lot of things to deal with. And yeah, and music definitely, you know, it was weird because I used to play in church and I still kept playing in church long after I stopped believing in God, just because I liked it. Mm-hmm. Like it was fun. It's fun to play music with people. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, like hearing people yeah, kind of try to, like, work those questions out through music was just so much more potent to me at that time. Yeah. Like, when I was, like, trying to figure those out, not to say I don't try to figure that out all the time. Like, I'm 
haunted by constant existential <laughs> 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 dread. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but uh, it, it, this may have just been seeding a mental illness, is what I is what Coltrane <laughs> was. Very possible. Uh, but no, yeah. yeah. But you know, um, uh, yeah, like it, it, that is vi- definitely. And I think when I would listen to stuff like this too, I would know, like I, I would just be like, I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I wanted to get it so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I don't know if it was just, yeah, like I hadn't. It, it sounds like, you know, part of it is that I don't understand. I didn't understand the language of, you know, the music theory behind it and and, and things like that. But, I mean, there's plenty of people listening to John, John Coltrane that don't understand music theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, it, that's how, yeah, when I started getting into, I guess, call it weirder music, dissonant music. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, that is, that is definitely very much where it came from was... Uh, this like sense of there's something larger out beyond and like I've and I've been limiting myself into these like you say 16 bar boxes yeah. <laughs> and like now it's like I found out like I was really into the Mars Volta like, yeah in high yeah, yeah yeah for sure and like when I heard that shit like that was like punk music but like I'd always loved Pink Floyd like Pink Floyd was my band like in middle school mm-hmm. and I and that was always what I liked about it was it was just so free flowing and 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 then yeah and then i finally heard like somebody do the music that like had been giving me these emotions that i was you know going through but like cosmic <laughs> it was just like yeah it was yep. just yeah 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 that was yeah that's a that's a really that's a really great way to put it um, and i would say for anyone who's like interested in getting into you know because because especially the name john coltrane gets thrown around a lot just because you know people care about that music and and then i think people mm-hmm. go listen to it and then don't have that kind of reaction to it I would check out uh, A Love Supreme if, if for anyone who hasn't checked that out, um, just because that is that's a, a big turning point is his in his career, and it's like, you know, it's 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 all pretty accessible, and it will set you up for what kind of came up came later. Not that anyone has to get into any of this stuff, but but <laughs> that that contextualizes a lot of it because because that you know A Love Supreme does not contain it's it you can't hear. Um, like most of the standard tunes that people play in jazz are like these like Tin Pan Alley songs from Broadway shores from mm-hmm. the 40s and whatever, which is great, but but that's not going to give you that like John Coltrane spiritual sound or whatever. So A Love Supreme is a departure from that in a big way, um, uh-huh. which is very cool, but not so much so that it doesn't seem rooted to kind of what the mm-hmm. conventions of Western music are generally. Um, so that yeah. can be a good a good starting place for anyone who's curious yeah yeah that's what yeah the big thing i'm just yeah when i was in into jazz or whatever i was definitely very into like this progression of like where these guys like you know like oh yeah we like we were playing clubs and then we all got addicted to drugs and one of us died and then like (laughs) but then so then we got clean and then then we were like oh well actually i want to make like i want to make something inspired by like you know this this painting style that of my girlfriend or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like I was always like really, really into that part mm-hmm. of, of jazz. And like, yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to go back and revisit, uh, kind of with this, like this new perspective. So, totally. um, very cool. Um, yeah, let's, let's hit the last one. The last, now you found out the secret is that there are no banjo songs. <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> yeah. On Eli's, yeah. On Eli's uh, playlist. Uh, 
We have P uh, Piano Sonata number two, uh, The Conquered Mass. Uh, is this the third movement? Is that uh, yeah, is? I guess it is, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Alcots. The Alcots by Charles Ives. This is an interesting one because I haven't really listened to the other movements of this piano sonata because it's actually an unfinished piano sonata. Um, he never actually finished it, and I'm sure it's all great. I, I think I just never got into it at the time. But, um, <laughs> but this is the most famous movement of it, and it's the one that people actually end up playing on its mm -hmm. own, f somewhat regularly. Um, but he's an interesting guy. He was a he was a composer. Um, classical what we call classical composer although at this at the point that he's writing this stuff you know it's it's long past mozart and beethoven and all the names that people recognize it's very much like mm -hmm. contemporary and modern classical music and stuff mm -hmm. um which i had gotten into i got really into um beethoven string quartets and oh hell yeah um, yeah just like the i mean it's the same same stuff as all this other heavy music these late beethoven string quartets are like Definitely. metal for that was exactly where i went yeah, yeah. totally and it's, i almost included <laughs> one of those for sure and it's and it's yeah you know there's a lot of this really intense music that ended up happening you know if you listen to um you know rachmaninoff and tchaikovsky mm -hmm. and shostakovich and Mahler and like there's a lot of really intense Oof. stuff and you know shostakovich especially is like that's that's man, you are i fucking love shostakovich that's too. cool man yeah i mean it's it's, 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 it's some of the most like yeah I, there's not enough time in the world for me to like catch up on all the shit that i <laughs> i think i would probably we'll just start the shostakovich podcast yeah there that's totally <laughs> worth doing um and and the more i got into it again i kind of just went towards the more avant-garde direction people that had kind of mm -hmm. um 
not I don't really I don't really care about people pushing the envelope for that for the sake of pushing the envelope or being unique or anything like the incidental stuff. Uh, well, and actually, I, I do like that stuff, but I don't like it because it's um, something different. You know, I don't tend to like mm-hmm. it just for the sake of saying fuck you to, you know, tradition or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't mind that concept. I do. I do. <laughs> here's what it is. I think that's a cool concept. It doesn't make me like your music more, though. Um, right. But uh, so like John Cage, I found really fascinating. Obviously, I don't spend mm-hmm. a whole lot of time listening to his music. Very few people actually do. Um, <laughs> but I read a lot of his stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, some of these composers I actually end up listening to. And it, it's, again, kind of the people who play with the form of these these more accessible, popular things um without throwing everything out not that i think you shouldn't i like the idea of throwing everything out that's very cool um mm-hmm. but but what charles eyes did was um he was a really he was a really fascinating character he studied classical music um and and the the kind of like legendary story about him is that he had a weird musical upbringing which is that his father was a musician or a composer who taught him about music and and had him do these weird things as a child that gave him this really weird musical mind where he would he was playing a song um, on the piano, like a little simple tune, and he was singing it. And then his dad somehow trained him or convinced him to try to sing in one key and play in another key. So it was two different keys <laughs> happening. You know, whether or not this is actually true, like to what extent his dad just like, you yeah. know, that is kind of irrelevant. But the result is of however he ended up being this way is that the music that he ended up writing uh, would be this beautiful music in one key, but this other music happening in another key at the same time. Like some of his music is uh-huh. just, it would make a whole lot of sense and sound very cool or not cool, but just sound very like pleasant and honestly boring if the melody was in the same key <laughs> as the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the accompaniment, but that's not the case. Um, and so some of it's like that. Some, you know, there's a wide range of things that he did, but but this piece is really interesting. So it starts. You you might not recognize it um, in the beginning, but later on it, it comes in stronger. And I didn't recognize it until someone told me. But it starts with the dun 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 dun, the Beethoven's fifth mm-hmm. thing, very softly and gently. Later on, it comes in really strong. But so in in a way, this is kind of a tribute to Beethoven that he does. But um, mm. it starts out with relatively simple um uh a relatively simple arrangement of this melody with once in a while these very dissonant out of key notes coming in in strange places and as it builds it mm-hmm. um obviously gets more intense the inclusion of other notes outside the key gets stronger until it's this really raucous thing um mm-hmm. And uh, it's like this incredible amount of restraint and control that he's using, but he's also playing with chaos. Like he's really trying to bring in this element of, you know, like Mm -hmm. so much so that the piano kind of can go out of tune or, you know, get these really unpleasant sounds. You're clipping the mic, you know, like all this stuff that that is part of the part of the piece. But that's part of the, you know, fucking with the form of of what that Mm -hmm. is supposed to be, which I always found really interesting. And and more so just Charles Ives in general, I found really interesting because he was so fascinated with these like songs from his childhood, these popular songs that mm-hmm. people knew, uh, really simple mm-hmm. melodies and like children's songs and taking them mm-hmm. really seriously and orchestrating them in a really intense way that ends up then, I mean, it, it, it in a way he's doing kind of the Sufjan thing where it's 
like yeah. these kind of like simple goofy melodies almost but yeah. then the what the content of the song ends up being is makes it that much more it's, it's like it's like corn when they do the child children's <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> thank you for, for exactly understanding exactly what i meant no but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's true and it's and it's like um yeah it it just brings like an element of uh of of depth to something that you never really thought would and 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 that's something that i think is often missing from music you know i think you read poetry about um about you know you could people write poetry about anything and it and it they paint this incredibly um mm-hmm. beautiful picture of a of a scenario but it's all this mundane uh content you know they're just like describing right. what's in a room or they're describing what somebody's wearing but it ends up having so much emotion in it and people do that with films and photography and especially photography you see a picture of something couldn't be more mm-hmm. mundane but the use of color and light and structure and all this stuff right. makes you feel something about like an apple on a desk or whatever which is crazy to me but so much of music ends up being um ends up just like giving you too much they're just like handing it to you on a plate like here i even rhymed it so it sounds kind of nice you know it's like which is great and useful but sometimes there's like this musical equivalent of this like black and white photo of like a barn in the middle of a field and you're like well why does that why does that make me feel something that's kind of (laughs) there's something to investigate there that that makes me feel something and that's what i feel a lot about charles ives music um is that it's this like very pastoral and kind of like you know Mm -hmm. um early 20th century, late 19th century, New England common life um, mm. in his music uh, that ends up, you know, yeah, making me feel so much so much stuff. That's very cool. He also is interesting because he spent most of his life as like an insurance salesman. Um, oh, yeah, really? he's one of those people that no one ever really knew his music very well. Uh, or, or they did, but it wasn't. The toil, the toiled and obscure. Yeah, type basically, guy. yeah. The Kafka, for the most part, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, there were some, and and on a lot of he he wasn't that he never really got famous, and there were plenty of composers that really didn't like his work at the time because you know he'd be mm-hmm. he'd be doing stuff in multiple keys at one time, and so he was. Yeah. So even the like top minds of his generation, plenty of those people did not <laughs> respect him either, and who knows who those people are, but <laughs> yeah. So was that always like kind of like I guess as as we've gotten to the end now, mm-hmm. um, is that always been another theme? Like I mean, was it was it always like a big thing for you to be like, oh, like I found out about this guy and he's got this wild fucked up thing, yeah, and like and then that makes the music just like sound so much cooler, like because like that was a big thing for me definitely was like reading about a band or a person or whoever and then reading about them and then reading about someone they mentioned or something and then being like, Oh, like who is this guy? Like, you know, and then like, or, or woman or whatever. And, uh, and then like, it just being like, Oh, like I have to listen to like what they did after hearing this. Yeah. Yeah. Or it was it like you heard something and then you went back and you're like, Oh, I've like, this is even fucking more badass <laughs> than I thought. Like I didn't realize. Like, yeah. There was, there's, it's kind of both. I mean, I, I've always been fascinated about the the backstory, not the not too mm-hmm. much the back. Well, at least just like what the the intention behind some of it was, or mm-hmm. you know, I, I do find their the lives of these people really interesting, partially because 
there was there are some music that I listen to because I want to relate to it, and I feel like it's somehow, um, I don't know, has something to do with the way I feel about things. That that ha- it's been a while since that was the mm-hmm. case. I mean, a, a yeah. really good example of that is like for no good reason at all. I felt like Blink One Eighty Two was like speaking to me <laughs> with some of their songs. You know, it's like it's because they were writing music for thirteen year olds, so th- it was literally for me. But like, you know, <laughs> later on, I stopped. I, I stopped feeling like music was this thing that had to be about me for me to like it. And I actually mm-hmm. liked it more when it was about something I didn't understand or about somebody else's life or, you know, it felt, it felt mm-hmm. like some other art medium, like a movie or a book or something where it's like, yeah. you know, I, I don't need the song to be about something that I've experienced or to be related to my life for me to then hopefully find some empathy with that the protagonist experience and like connect it in some way to my own feeling because I'm not really like, I don't really care <laughs> in my own life. I don't really care that much about like the actual, uh, the things that happen to me that make me feel a certain way, like, like interactions with people that make me feel like bad about myself or, mm-hmm. you know, something about my interaction with the world that makes me question some sort of existential angst thing, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't really the, the stuff that causes that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. It's just that, like, I ended up feeling that way in the end uh, mm-hmm. and just trying to work with those feelings, you know, that that the fact mm-hmm. that you can feel anxiety. It's like, well, that you know, if you're a person with anxiety or depression, you know, you don't have it because, well, it's, it's I don't want to speak for anyone, but, like, in a lot of cases, <laughs> it's not because always you experienced a certain thing. Um, it's because you're alive uh-huh. and you're experiencing anything that you're going to, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, you know, you, uh, you, you then end up like interacting with certain art where it, it may have nothing to do with your life experience or anything. It's just someone being mm-hmm. really honest about the fact that it's like, yep, I'm a person that's alive right now and I'm having a really <laughs> fucking hard time just like <laughs> dealing with it. And, and for me, you know, especially in high school to then w- listen to that and be like, I've, yeah. I haven't experienced anything. I haven't been through any like hugely traumatic experience all this stuff and yet here i am like really struggling with the fact that like why is everything so fucked up in 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 the world and just with the concept of what we're doing here and all this stuff all these things that Mm -hmm. later you know i ended up living in a zen monastery for like a month but but neither neither here (laughs) nor there like that that whole concept was so uh central to my everything that i was doing that like yeah that's that Mm -hmm. ended up being the music i was interested in which meant that I had to kind of avoid things that were trying to trying to get my attention. You know, anything, there's plenty of pop music and there's plenty of like rock music and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's all kinds of music that for the most part is kind of trying to relate, trying to get you to relate to it and trying to tell you a story that you can be like, yeah, that's, that is so me. And I, I, <laughs> I didn't like any of that stuff because I didn't want, I didn't want any. I didn't want to have an experience with that music where, you know, I heard something about an experience that I had had or or something that I could relate to, and then the answer to just be like, well, I must not be the only one. I guess I feel okay. Like I didn't want to be let off the hook for the fact that everything. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to be told like it's okay because I knew it wasn't okay. I I knew yeah, yeah. that as I was like you know, especially just you know hormonally as a teenage boy like that factors yeah. in here but like you know in my mind i was staring off into the abyss of like eternity just being like <laughs> what does yeah. anything mean what does life mean all this stuff that 
is as valid as ever. I just cope with it, you know, in a, in a healthier yeah. way now. But it's like I wanted, I wanted to experience some art that didn't explain that but instead was like, yeah, that's a thing. That's a real phenomenon that you're experiencing. Yep. And like, best of luck to you. But you know, <laughs> this is what I've, this is what I'm doing to deal with it. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and so, so the more I learned about people's lives and experiences when they were making this music and it was like, you know, mm-hmm. you just get this universal appreciation for the fact that people are, are just trying to get by, um, in a lot of different situations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's interesting to say that. Uh, yeah, because I mean, it, yeah, it's very weird too, can, juxtaposed to like now, you're a bluegrass musician, <laughs> and that's essentially like pop pop music. Yeah, totally. Uh, not not. I, I mean, I don't want to slam on it because I also very much love feel, it too. Feel free but, to. I mean, I'm sure we agree yeah, about all the same. Yeah, but it is not very deep. No, uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean. I think that there is something to it and and I think that that was kind of its own lesson to like appreciating it is that I think, yeah, like when you're saying like in your high school, you want these like really heavy songs and I still really like shit like that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but I think it did kind of blind me to things like bluegrass music or simple music, like country music even, um, where because it didn't immediately like kick me in the nuts like and say like you know like doesn't that suck yeah like you know is, you know or like or just you know yep. like like put a gun to my head with like how heavy it is yep. um i yeah you know i didn't i don't think i put as much effort into listening to it because i was just like well this sounds exactly the same as the other country song <laughs> blah, you know or yeah. this bluegrass song yep. and you didn't really like get into like what these people were really saying and like where they were coming from with like why they were doing it in a certain way mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, because like like you say, I still would say I, I do like gravitate towards things like that. But yeah, it does feel more like less like I need to f- see myself in this as opposed to like I just want to feel like somebody put some effort or yeah. like put a piece of themselves into it. Totally. And it's easier for me to find that piece I think now because. Partially, I'm not such a dick. <laughs> like, because you know, you're a teenager. You're kind of a kind of a yeah, dick. Yeah. Uh, I know I was for oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, and yeah, and, I mean, you just start seeing the world, and yeah, and it, it, you know, it's part of it, and yeah, and I mean, music is. It, it's so strange to like have you know these seeds like set like or you know put in you so early and then like this you know it's it's still a thing i carry with but it's like not the same things i carry totally you know? yeah. yeah yeah and i think it's totally valid for you know music to really serve a lot of different purposes in your life and uh in different mm-hmm. cultures it serves you know it's such an interesting thing for all the experiences i've had with music they're almost exclusively uh have been coming from people who are making uh art for the purpose of uh, like expressing themselves personally and um, making some sort of artistic statement. Very mm-hmm. little of the music that I listened to was really part of anyone's like cultural language for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yes, and that's yeah. a big thing in America in general is like we have pockets of of cultural music that exist in certain parts of the country, and like of course, pop music culturally is something that exists but like you know when you talk about traditional music 
Um, mm-hmm. Even that is kind of weird in America just because it's like different regions have these different things that were mm-hmm. going on, all, all this stuff. So it's like I definitely feel myself, at least right now, being in a, in a world where I'm, I'm interested in participating in uh, like a cultural community which which mm-hmm. now ends up being kind of weird because like you know with the world being the country being so diverse in so many ways it's like you know there's there's these different lines between uh participation and appropriation and all these things um mm-hmm. so it's like but anyway at the, at the end of the day with bluegrass like one of the things i find is i'm it's music that i do love just you know i don't i don't have to think about it too hard just to hear it and say like yep I like, I want to listen to that mm-hmm. again. That makes me feel good, whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, but one of the interesting things about, you know, just participating in that cultural language of playing it and being in that community, jam sessions and festivals and all that stuff, you know, it does nothing for the side of my brain that's interested in this, like, um, you know, existential dread and all that. It, it really doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> feed any of that. It doesn't, you know, which is probably a good thing, yeah. honestly. Um, but I will say that, uh, all the time that I spent with that music, trying to um, just just trying to just swim in that world of of uh, of despair, kind of you know, as a lot of people do in high school. Mm-hmm. For all the time that I spent doing that, I mean, being a part of the bluegrass community for all its issues um, mm-hmm. it doesn't speak to that that feeling that I had in high school, but it definitely is honestly kind of a treatment for that, for the negative side effects of that feeling, you know, like not that it, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be bluegrass. Just the fact that like, as a teenager, I, I never thought I would end up being the kind of person who's like in a group of people <laughs> on a, on a regular basis, communicating with people all the time, um, yep. seeing like having a, basically this like musical family that I take part in and, mm-hmm you know, helping people along as they learn this stuff, learning from other people, all this stuff that, that like plenty of cultures do just by virtue of like the survival of their culture that I and plenty of other people have kind of had to like retroactively decide to do. And then you end up having this like improved mental health and it's like, okay, well, no wonder, (laughs) but I'm glad that I did. So it's like, you know, it's not an alternative to all this other music, but it's like, it serves Mm -hmm. a purpose that I didn't allow music to serve for a long time. So, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting yeah. to be in this yeah, world yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I'm excited at some point to uh, get to actually take part in that, that part. Of <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that it's been delayed uh, for you. Yeah. It's okay. I don't think I would have started if it hadn't been for uh, the, 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 quarantine, that's a good point. So. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. So, yeah. so it's a catch yeah. point. Plus too. now you got time to prepare, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, where can everybody find you? We'll wrap it um, up If here. you just search uh, Eli Gilbert Banjo, pretty much anywhere on the internet, you'll run into my YouTube channel or my Patreon page or my Instagram or any of that stuff. YouTube is really where mm-hmm. I post all my stuff. So just search Eli Gilbert Banjo on YouTube and you'll find, you know, like almost, you know, it's like 160 or 70 lessons just about playing bluegrass banjo and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and then you could even join the, uh, the banjo Discord channel discord server that i that i started which you'll find in the um find in the description of all the youtube videos that i've posted so uh you can come talk mm-hmm. about the banjo and learn why why <laughs> it's possible that we're interested in this sort of thing 
but yeah, that that's about it. YouTube is probably the best place to find anything that I do. Yeah. Yeah, if you um, even if you're not super interested in learning the banjo, uh, Eli does do uh, live streams uh, that sometimes work. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. They do work, uh, and uh, yeah, they're really kind of they're very uh, informative about yeah general questions like this. Uh, you know that we kind of discussed. Um, just yeah, like how you approach music. Um, he plays he plays some banjo on them. Uh, I mean, there is technical talk that you might not enjoy but yeah uh but yeah if you're interested in learning the banjo it's a great place to start it's like a dollar right for your patreon yep. try to yeah. keep it as cheap as possible yeah all sorts of great lessons it's been a giant help to me and the banjo discord is a lot of fun there's also music chat in there so um yeah i will i really appreciate it eli um I uh, yeah, I had a great time. It's just great to do this again. We're gonna have a few more of these episodes for sure. I don't know how much I'll continue uh, once we start production of the show again. But for now, I have a few people planned. Yeah. Uh, until next time, we'll uh, see you guys later. Bye bye.